Hey, this is Joe Bakamotsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. I'm super excited today because you get to hear our conversation with Lee Silverstein. Lee has an amazing story where he's actually had cancer twice in his life, once as a child and once as an adult. And he has such an incredible attitude that he's using it to live life the best way that he can and to help other people through his podcast. It's called We Have Cancer. And through this podcast, we share information, inspiration, and hope for living the best life you can despite cancer. You know what? I love your photos um, on Facebook and on your website and you, <laughs> with you and your Batman gear. And your, I think this is, is that the Andy Rans? Can you talk about that? I've been dealing with colon cancer for eight years. And the largest colon cancer support organization in the U.S. is the Colorectal Cancer Alliance. And they do a run, a 5K run and a walk at different cities all over the country each weekend a different city. And um, the first one is always in Tampa, Florida, which was last weekend. And instead of giving out, like most of these events, they give out T-shirts. But because it's the other part of the body, they give out boxer shorts. <laughs> that's where the undie name comes from. And people dress in funny costumes. And I was always a Batman fan when I was a kid. So we called my team Lee's Superheroes. And we all dressed up with Batman, you know, shirts and shorts and boxers and all that. Yeah, that's fantastically. I love that. Because I think like um, both you and me and like, yeah, I guess actually many of us have really uncomfortable cancers in the most uncomfortable parts of the body. Like I had a testicular cancer, got colon cancer. So it, it feels weird, right? Like to start to talk about it because it's kind of private and sensitive, right? True, true. But I tell people when it comes to my disease, you know, everybody uses the bathroom, everybody uses the toilet, right? And because we all do it, it shouldn't be something embarrassing. I know it is. But I tell people, don't let embarrassment kill you. And I interview so many people on my podcast who either they themselves waited and waited too long because they were embarrassed to say anything, to talk to their doctor. And then it was, you know, the disease was more advanced than it should have been. So what's, what's worse, being a little bit embarrassed or having to go through chemotherapy? Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's why it's even more important, like you said, to talk about it and to be honest and upfront, just so that um, people feel more comfortable to show up at the doctors and say, can you have a look at this? Can you check it out? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, Leah, I was really shocked to hear like your story that you, you really first had cancer as a child. What was that experience like? Well, from what I remember, and actually for it happening when I was four or five years old, I'm surprised how much I do remember. The, the story behind that is when I was growing up and had one sister at the time, another sister came along a few years later, we were always getting sick, especially in the wintertime, strep throat, throat infections. And when I was a kid, the popular surgery was to have your tonsils out if you kept getting throat infections. So they said, all right, we're going to take, we think we should take his tonsils out. So my parents took me to the hospital the day before the surgery just to do all the testing and blood work and all of that. And something showed up very unusual in my blood test. 
And they said, wait a minute, this is not good. Something's going on here. And they did some tests and found a spot on my kidney. And it turned out to be a rare form of pediatric kidney cancer called a Wilms tumor. Now, a Wilms tumor, if caught early, the cure rate is around 90, if not higher, 90%. And mine, fortunately, was caught early. And it did cost me my left kidney. So I've lived my life with one kidney, which people can do. But that experience, even though it happened when I was such a young child, my follow-up, the doctors followed me into my early 20s. Not so much because there was a concern of a recurrence, because that typically doesn't happen with the Wilms tumor. I think it was more for their clinical records, you know, that we followed this patient for 20 years, you know, et cetera. And so even though it initially took place when I was very young, I was, when I stopped the follow-up, I think I already, no, it was a year or two before I had my own first child. So that whole part of it is a vivid memory. And the impact that that had on me was even though there is no studies that show a correlation between that cancer and future cancers, I just felt that someday cancer and I would cross paths again. It wasn't a weight. It wasn't a burden that I carried around. Please understand, I've always been a very positive person. But I just, it was just, for lack of a better word, a hunch. Uh, They're starting to find that what does happen is that when children are treated, especially with heavy doses of radiation, which is a major part of what my treatment was for that disease, heavy radiation in my abdomen, that that could lead to cancers in an adult. So what a coincidence, the cancer I had happened to be in my abdomen, colon cancer, and it was discovered from just a routine colonoscopy. I had turned 50 and my doctor said, oh, you know what you get to do now that you're 50. And I was like, oh, okay. And I went and I didn't have any symptoms and woke up to find out I had colon cancer. Wow, what a shock. And it also must have been, I'm just going back and thinking to how it affected you growing up. Because I know that when our son had meningitis, when he was two years old, thankfully, uh, you know, we made it through. But we now, you know, last few years, we became just so paranoid about everything that it just kind of affects, I think, how we just live our normal lives. And that must have really kind of, I guess, affected you growing up and your parents as well. You know, uh, it wasn't until I became a parent that I really start to understand what that had to be like, you know, to be barely five years old and to be told your child has cancer. I still have trouble. I I couldn't imagine if I was the parent and heard those words. And I'm sure it impacted how I was raised. You know, I, I feel like my parents were a bit more protective of me than my younger sisters, you know, with those concerns and, you know, that weight of what if it comes back, you know, for for a number of years weighing on them. And I'm sure it had long lasting effects. So yeah, just like your reaction with your son and meningitis, I'm, I'm sure it was equally challenging for my parents. Yeah, absolutely. And so when, because when, <laughs> we'll remember that moment when your doctor, or your specialist tells you you've got cancer that, that can really stand out. So what, what went through your mind? 
because I just had that feeling that someday my reaction was, and I think, I don't know if it's part that or part the stereotypical guy in me, right, was, okay, what do we got to do? And I was just three or four months into a relationship with my now wife of six years. We had just started dating. And I happened to be at her house when I got the phone call with the results. And I think she was more visibly upset than I was because just somehow I I wasn't expecting it, but I wasn't shocked. And I know that may not make sense, but that w- that was my reaction. The more challenging time was the phone call that we received a year and a half later when we found out that it had metastasized. And that was really tough. That, I think that was tougher than the initial diagnosis, actually. Yeah, I think I know what you mean as well. I had, I guess, a similar experience where initially I thought that my cancer diagnosis was contained to the testicle. And a little later, in a couple of months, I found out that it's, it's going to spread to my lymph nodes. And that's when it really hit me. And for me personally, it was more the fact that I thought it was going to go away, but I found out that it's still there. And that's kind of took me by surprise. Did you go through a similar experience? Well, my story with the metastasis, so originally, my original diagnosis was stage two. And I talked to three different doctors regarding the suggested treatment plan post-surgery. So obviously it had to come out. So they took out about 18 inches of my of my colon. And then the question was, well, what if anything do we do next? I'm very fortunate to live very close to one of the top 10 cancer centers in the U.S., the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. And I talked to the oncologist there and he said, well, he said for stage two, typically we don't recommend chemotherapy. The potential harm outweighs the minuscule benefit that people would get at stage two. We recommend just just watching this. About three months later, so now we're talking about five months post-surgery, I had my first quote-unquote routine CT scan and blood work. And a few days later, my wife and I, no, my girlfriend, I should say it, (laughs) uh, I took her on her first trip to New York City. And we were enjoying the sights. I'm originally from New York, so I know the city very well. And was just enjoying seeing it through her eyes. And my phone rings. And I don't know how it is in Australia, but in the U.S., there's a saying that if the nurse calls, it's good news. If it's the doctor calling, <laughs> not so much. So I answer the phone. Lee, it's Dr. Strasberg. I was like, oh, no. He said, "We your first CT scan came back and there's a spot on your liver. We need to get you in for a PET scan. And I explained I was on vacation. He said, well, enjoy the rest of your vacation. Try not to let it bother you. I'm like, that's easy for you to say. (laughs) So, you know, I had my few minutes there. We tried our best to enjoy the rest of the trip. Came back, had the PET scan. The PET scan came back negative. So he said, okay, it must be something benign, but we'll just keep an eye on it. And this was in September of 2011. That New Year's Eve, I asked Linda to marry me. And fast forward to 2012, December 1st, we got married and we went for our honeymoon. And the week right after our honeymoon was time for my next three month scan, six month scan, whatever it was. You know, this had just become something that, you know, we just checked off our to do list, you know, 
like didn't really worry about it. It had been almost a year and a half and, you know, just go for a scan. Everything's fine. See you in a few months, go for scans, you know, that kind of thing. And he walks in and the look on his face was a little different this time. And he said, that spot on your liver has gotten bigger. I want to do a biopsy. So we're like, okay, I'm sure it's nothing. It was nothing last time. You said it was benign, you know, and a few days after Christmas, we had the biopsy. And at four o'clock on New Year's Eve, we had just bought a bottle of champagne to celebrate New Year's Eve. We were three hours away from our, our first uh, New Year's Eve. We made a reservation at a very nice restaurant at our first New Year's Eve as husband and wife the day before our one month anniversary. My phone rings at four o'clock. Guess who? <laughs> Lee, it's, Lee, it's Dr. Strasberg. I hate calling you on New Year's Eve with this news, but the, the biopsy came back positive. Your cancer has spread to your liver and I need you in my office on January 2nd. Oh, no. That was the devastating phone call. So we hadn't made it to 30 days in our, our wedding anniversary. And we kind of laughed about it, you know, after the, we shed the tears, you know, and we said, we just said in sickness and in health, we didn't mean now. <laughs> You know, when you get married and you, you, you know, you vow to love each other in sickness and in health, you, you have visions of being old, you know, not, not in a few weeks. So now that it had spread, now we were looking at liver surgery, six months of chemotherapy, and uh, been dealing with it ever since. Uh, March 21st will be my eight years since I got my initial diagnosis. I had two lung surgeries last year, one most recently, uh, middle, late November in 2018. The prognosis for me is very good. Today, I had my first CT scan post-surgery, and I'll get the results the day after tomorrow. I'm expecting to hear good news. Uh, my doctor called me an outlier. I think that was his nice way of saying, I didn't think you'd be around this long, <laughs> uh, but I'll take it. Fingers crossed, Leigh. Thank you. I appreciate that. Meanwhile, I work full time. I'm in the gym every day before work. I feel good. And despite the cancer, Joe, I tell people with zero hesitation, these have been the best eight years of my life. The good things that have happened to me in these last eight years far outnumber what the cancer has brought to me. Yeah, that's unbelievable, Leigh. And I'm so glad to hear you say that because I think that's, I, I kind of feel the same way that it's changed life in so many ways. So tell me, how has the change come about? Like, why do you say that it's been the best eight years of your life? Um, well, first and foremost, I found love again and married the woman of my dreams. I was fortunate to be given the second chance at love, both of us. And uh, that takes precedence over everything. And we have a wonderful family and, and two grandkids that uh, my wife watches during the week. And I've taken my experience with cancer and launched the We Have Cancer podcast as a way to interview folks like you and me and caregivers and medical professionals. And I first launched it originally it was called the Colon Cancer Podcast. And a year ago, with the guidance of some friends, we rebranded it from the Colon Cancer Podcast to We Have Cancer so that we weren't just limiting these stories to people with colon cancer because the we represents all of us. Every one of us is touched by this disease in some way, if not personally, either through a family member or someone we know has been touched by cancer. We 
have cancer. We are all affected by this disease. And so opening it up to being able to talk to people like you, no matter what type of disease, you know, type of cancer they've been dealing with has really helped the exposure of the show and so many great things and so many wonderful experiences have come from this podcast, uh, including speaking events and amazing friendships and connections and, and people just reaching out to me through the various social media platforms and email saying, thank you. I thought I was alone. Thank you. I thought I was the only one dealing with this topic. Thank you for giving me hope. I did, you know, you interviewed somebody who, has lived 20 years. I didn't think that was possible and on and on and on. So it's a great thing to be behind the microphone and talk to the people all over the world. And, you know, the tagline of the show is offering information, inspiration, and hope to those touched by cancer. And if I can help just one person, which I know I have, it's made it all worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that is so fantastically, and and thank you so much for what you do in the world because I think it it helps so many people because like you said, there are, when you go through cancer, whether that's diagnosis or treatment or even in remission, there are times when you feel alone, when you feel lost, when you don't know what the hell is going on in your life, and you want to hear stories of people who are there of people who had to deal with it and hopefully have come out the end and are here to tell the story. Absolutely. And I never envisioned when I started this project four years ago, actually this coming Sunday, 24th of February, will be four years since I did my first episode. And I've done well over 100 interviews. When I started this, I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't think four years later that I'd still be doing this, I was, I thought there'd be an end to the number of topics I could cover and the number of people <laughs> to talk to, but it doesn't end. And I get as much out of this from the guests that I meet and talk to as my audience does from hearing these conversations. The topics we've covered, clinical trials, the challenges of being a caregiver, medical marijuana, sex and intimacy, talking to your kids about your disease, how cancer can impact a marriage, and on and on and on, where, you know, they just keep coming and really are giving people that information, inspiration, and hope that they need. Because, we, you know, as you know, as a survivor, you're never really done. And the, the impact of the disease touches people in so many ways and affects so many aspects of our life. As good as many doctors are, they never, you know, they're there to get rid of the disease, right? That's what they do. They're not prepared to talk to you about how might this impact your, you know, intimacy, how this might affect your friends and family. And every person I've talked to tells me that the photo, if you will, of the friends and family who were there for them before their disease is not the same photo of the family and friends that are there for them when they got sick and afterwards. The faces change and people we think will be there for us sometimes aren't and people we totally don't expect to be there for us suddenly show up. And these are all things we're not prepared for. Even some of the side effects and things that, you know, the treatments cause, they, you know, 
My doctor didn't tell me I'd get nosebleeds from chemotherapy. You know, that was a surprise. The doctor didn't, didn't tell me, hey, your taste buds are going to be shot a few days after chemo and you need to eat. But my go-to food was macaroni and cheese. That was all I felt like eating when I was going through chemotherapy. All they tell you is you're going to be fatigued and you may get nauseous. Right? And that's true for every chemotherapy. You may get fatigued, you may get nauseous, but there's 50 other things that they don't tell you. So if I can help you know, fill in those gaps, then I, I think we've accomplished something. Yeah, and you're so right, isn't this? Um, you never run out of things to talk about when you talk about cancer. There's all sorts of ways in the ways that it affects your life in a million ways. So there's always something to talk about. And also, like you said, that each person's story is unique. Each person has their own story, no matter what type of cancer, no matter what stage. You know, we are so complex. We go through a range of emotions and how we experience things on physical and social level that each story is truly unique. And, and you never get tired of hearing that. And Lee, I really love, you know, the analogy where you talked about the photo of your family and friends or how that changes from how it was before cancer to what it's like after you've been diagnosed. So could you talk about what that means for you? I One of the ways cancer has changed me is I take things a whole lot less personally. I try to show even more empathy than I did before. And just some people have a really hard time dealing with difficult situations. They don't know how to deal. So since they don't know what to do, they don't show up. They'd rather not be there than in their mind say or do the wrong thing or you know feel like they're being a burden. So it's I never looked at that as taking it personally, but I have had some close family members that I barely heard from. And when I did, oh, you know, we don't want to bother you. It's like, no, I want you there. I want, you know, just call and say, I love you. And, you know, want to let you know we're thinking of you. Something. Don't disappear. And then some people who I barely called acquaintances were sharing things on social media and, and doing things that I never expected that, like, that just blew me away. And there's not a person I've spoken to that didn't have a similar experience. You know, it's just kind of how life works, I guess, right? So, you know, there's no solution, but I would tell your listeners, if anybody's experienced that, do not take it personally, right? It has nothing to do with you. Um, This is someone who, or, you know, plural, who don't know how to uh, handle difficult situations and, um, you know, try not to judge. I completely agree with you. Although, to be honestly, I found that hard to do at times because um, I understand that it's the people's issues and how they kind of relate to life, that it isn't really about me. But I kind of felt that, well, it is about me because it's me who has to deal with the, with the fallout. You know? True. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, let me backtrack a little bit because I may have oversimplified that. I, you know, I'm speaking from my personal experience. I'm very active in many of the online social media groups. And I have seen, and it's very sad, where relationships have, you know, crumbled through this, you know, where one partner just couldn't cope and left, you know, left the partner who was ill. 
that one, how do you not take that one personally? Right. So I don't mean to be trite. You know, I was only speaking from my own personal situation, but you're absolutely right. Uh, maybe a different way to look at it is that I've been incredibly fortunate that the people most close to me were all rallied around me and all, you know, supported me and, and showed their love. But I, I think you're right. I have to acknowledge that not everybody is that fortunate. Yeah, everyone's experience is different. And I think we just all, no matter what comes at you, you just have to find ways of dealing with it. You know, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes you just have to focus on the people who are there for you. You know, I was lucky that uh, my wife and my mom were really there for me in a big way. And for me, I just tried to focus on that and kind of shift focus away from maybe people who didn't really step up in the way that, you know, I wanted them to. Sure, sure. And, you know, and I made some decisions too, like you know, my parents kept, uh, my parents live an hour away and uh, they're in their 80s. And, you know, you want us to come up and be with you when you're going through chemo. Now, understand it's, we're 2019. It's been six years since I started chemo. Why should somebody do that again? It's been five and a half years since I last had chemo. There you go. So I am not in active treatment. I had two surgeries last year, but I'm not currently in any active treatment. But when I was going through chemo, you know, can we come up and be with you? Well, fortunately, the cancer center said you're only allowed to have one guest with you during uh, infusion. And obviously, that was going to be my wife. But you know what? Even if that wasn't the case, I didn't want my parents having to relive that again, you know? 45 yeah. years later to have to relive that and watch that again. It was hard enough having to make multiple phone calls to tell them the initial diagnosis, then the, the metastasis to the liver, and then the metastasis to the lung, and then the, the lung surgery, you know, and keep doing this over and over again. Uh, and certainly when I was in the hospital, they, they came to visit even a few months ago, but I didn't need them sitting there reliving this, watching me go through chemo. You know, so in that case, I felt like it's kind of my job to kind of shield them a little bit. Yeah, of course. Especially at their age. Yeah, absolutely. And because there's so much, I guess, for everyone involved, but like for yourself, especially if, you, if you're going through treatment, you're facing so much uncertainty because you don't really know how things are going to turn out. What helped you during this time? Uh, my attitude. I made a conscious decision that I was going to do everything I have in my power to have a good attitude and to show a lot of gratitude. And I decided right from the get-go, I was going to go out of my way to make all of the people around me, not just my family and friends, but when I went for treatment and the nurses and the aides and the doctors, and I was going to go out of my way to make them feel really good because I knew that would make me feel good. And I would laugh and I would joke and I would remember people's names. And, and when I come back two weeks later for the next treatment, you know, you know, and say, hey, Dan, how's your son doing, you know, in his new job? And he'd look at me like, you remembered? It's like, absolutely, I remembered, right? My first infusion, uh, I still remember this, this was kind of funny. You know, they, they would refer to the combination of drugs as your chemo cocktail, so I hear cocktail and I'm thinking of, you know, an adult beverage <laughs> and, uh, and uh, they get me hooked up and uh, the nurse in the infusion center, she was a little bit on the older side and didn't, didn't smile often. So that, that wasn't working for me. And once they got me hooked up and, you know, it's, it's 
four or five hours, whatever it is. And I'm on the phone with my youngest sister and the nurse is with a near shop, but she's not right nearby. And I'm saying to my sister, I don't understand. They told me we were having cocktails. I don't see a drink anywhere in sight. I was expecting <laughs> this thing with a big umbrella in it. And this is nonsense. And I said, this is nonsense. And the nurse looked up at me. She did. She wasn't listening to the whole conversation. She thought I was, you know, ranting and raving. I was just having fun with it. It was like, I don't see cocktails around here. What kind of place is this? And that's, that's the way, that was the approach that I would take. And on the last day of chemo, uh, my wife and I brought in cookies and brownies for everybody. And and that really was my approach, was to smile and say, thank you. And how are you? Because, you know, that's a tough job. I don't know how those people do it. I don't just don't know how. And God bless all of them for doing what they do because uh, they truly are angels here on earth. And it was important to me, even to this day, even this morning, you know, to smile and, and, and have some fun. And that's what got me through. And people always said, oh, you know, you have an amazing attitude. You know, that has something to do with your success. And I go out of my way to correct people because I think that's wrong. My attitude has helped me cope. I do not for a second believe that my attitude has helped fight this disease. I've met far too many people with attitudes as good, if not better than mine, who sadly are not here anymore. So if all it took was a good attitude to beat this disease, I would not have lost as many friends as I have so far and probably sadly will continue to do so. But what it has helped me do is help me live and enjoy every day that I do have and it's been my best way to cope is to have a great attitude yeah i love what you just talked about lee because it really is true that the more positive vibes you give out the more you get back and the fact that you made a conscious decision to just express gratitude and do the best that you can to to stay upbeat to stay positive and to stay connected to people around you Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, it carries over to this day. I take nothing for granted. And, um, you know, a beautiful moon in the sky or a beautiful sunset, I, I stop and I pause and, and appreciate that. And just little things. And I'm very fortunate. We're so, I, my wife and I say it all the time, we are so lucky because we know so many people that haven't been as lucky as we have. And this was a really revealing moment when I went in, I saw I had surgery on my left lung and then on my uh, right lung. And the first surgery was in July and I was talking to one of my other cancer buddies. And what she said to me, I think I'll never forget, Joe. She said, wow. She said, you're so lucky you get to have surgery. Think about that for a second. Because she also has metastasis to the lungs, but she has too many. Surgery is not an option for her. So can you imagine someone telling you, aren't you lucky you get to have surgery? And you know what? I am lucky that I got to have surgery because there's people out there that that's not an option. And there's people out there that are scrambling to find options that will work for them because they're running out of options. I've been through one line of chemotherapy. God forbid that I need to go back in chemotherapy. I've got three, four, five more different things to try. I haven't even dented the list. And I know people who've gone through all five options and are trying number one again, hoping maybe they'll get lucky. So it's not lost on me that uh, being here eight years 
that we're incredibly fortunate and we live our lives that way. You know, we don't wait to do fun things. We don't wait to, you know, do the things we enjoy. We're going to do them because nothing's promised but today. That is exactly right, Lee. And I love your, your age acronym as well. Can you uh, talk about that too? Yeah, so I talked about the A and the G. So I talk about being proud of your age. And this actually, I got to give credit, this comes from my father. My father is, will be 85 this year. And he always says, I hate it when people complain about their age. Don't they know what the alternative is? He said, <laughs> I am proud that I'm 84 years old going on 85. This is a contest with he with he with the highest number wins. And it <laughs> always stuck with me. You know, oh, I'm 29. I don't want to tell you how old I am. All this other nonsense. So I always thought about being proud of your age. And I use age as an acronym as the, as the three things that have helped me cope with cancer. The A stands for attitude. The G stands for gratitude. And the E stands for exercise. And those three things have had a major impact on how I have coped with this disease. On a few occasions, I was actually walking on the treadmill. Granted, it was pretty slowly, but I was walking nonetheless with my chemo pump uh, wrapped around my waist because it was this feeling if I'm walking and I'm moving and I'm perspiring, people who are perspiring on a treadmill don't have cancer. you know that was what my brain said you know if i'm having to wipe myself off with a towel how sick can i actually be and that again was something that helped me cope so that's age attitude gratitude and exercise yeah that's really powerful if you're sweating from exercise that means that things are not really that bad Mm-hmm. And and I tell people all the time, one of the first interviews I did was with a woman who is a yoga instructor, and she even teaches what she calls gentle yoga, and she does sessions over the phone, and she acknowledges that we're all in different places, and she teaches, she said, if you have trouble getting out of bed, or if you are in a recliner most of the day, because that's how tired you are and you're feeling the effects of chemo, I still can teach you how to do yoga from a chair or how to do yoga from bed just to get you moving, just to get you moving some way. So I've interviewed people who have done triathlons in the middle of treatment. I can't fathom doing a triathlon having never, if I've never gone through treatment, so <laughs> goodness, to be able to do that in the middle of treatment, that is a lot of respect for that. But if all you can do is just walk to the mailbox, check your mail, that's great. Do that. Do that. Yep. Do what you can do. Do something. Okay. If you can do weights and the treadmill like I was able to do, again, another example of being lucky, great. But if all you can do is just, you know, one lap around your house, but you do it every day, do that. Do what you can do. That's fantastic advice, Lee. And I know you've been talking to a lot of folks through your podcast, you know, about cancer and through other channels. Um, how has your own perspective, you know, changed on, on treatment, on cancer, on life because of that? Well, I've learned a lot and I've learned, I think, the area that I've become much more aware of from talking to other people is the whole clinical trial space. So uh, not an area that I've personally had to investigate, but I feel having learned from the people that I've interviewed that I have a more of a comfort level there, you know, should I ever need to explore that? I've got some resources. And so that's, that's one of the biggest things, that area. 
But again, as I interview people and talk to people, I keep finding examples that prove how lucky I am, right? I don't know that you've experienced this yet, Joe, but I've done, I've published 115 plus podcasts now, probably 125, and four of my guests are no longer with us. And talk about him, you know, leaving an impression where four people and two of those four, I actually got to meet in person and they succumb to their disease. And that's hard. That's hard. Uh, when you've actually interviewed these people and been inspired by these people and they're not here anymore. Yeah, that's tough. Like, sorry to share that. Thanks. Sully, um, if someone wanted to check out your podcast, what's the best way to do that? Uh, any place people listen to music or podcasts online, they'll find me. It's the wehavecancershow.com if they want to go to my website. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, all the podcasts, the Spotify, all of the uh, major podcast players. Just look for We Have Cancer. You can also connect with me on social media. Please do. I'm on both Instagram and Twitter at We Have Cancer Pod. That's P-O-D. And again, the website is wehavecancershow.com. There's also a Facebook page by the same name and a private Facebook group for those touched by cancer. You can find it on Facebook strictly at We Have Cancer. Thank you so much, Lee. I love what you do. And thank you so much for coming in and for sharing your inspiration and advice. Thank you for having me, Joe. Be well, my friend. Thanks, you too. Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time, because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast, because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with, and you don't want to go it alone. And you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I, I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. So then there is the outcome map. Like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that I have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific, something that's bothering you right now. So maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you can, you can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs 
your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague. Her name is Jill. Her husband had prostate cancer. So, uh, so she has this kind of caregiver's perspective. And we both like talked about how there are so many times, um, when you go through cancer, when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling, you're on this roller coaster of emotions and it's kind of full on and it's hard to deal with. So there, there's an audio version that comes along with it. And there's a link to download the MP3 if that's what you want, or you can just listen to it online and, you know, and just uh, listen along with the PDF. So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates. So you can kind of share what's what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news on cancer and you don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality and you're good to go. And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the prostate cancer support kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page. So you can walk someone through it, like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, and we just talked about, you'll also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of Simplify Cancer. And listen, I'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how I'm doing here. I mean, are you getting what, you, what you're looking for? Was there something in particular that, that really made sense to you? Or is there a question that you want to ask? Or maybe there's, there's just something that you, you want to get off your chest, like, please, I need to know. Just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's J-O-E at simplifycancer.com. And send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time. <music>